Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Well, lots of developments this week on some of the stories that we first brought you last year. It shows we have our finger on the pulse. Don't we just? Goodness me. Well, it's 12th night as well. It's the end of the festive season. And we're taking down my grotto. Right. My decorations will come down later, but I'm still enjoying the last of the Ferrero Rocher. Oh, good. That's we'll good. have to wait till next year, until, until later this year, to see you in your, in your um, Christmas cap again. And my lovely morning coffee. In my Scandalmongers mug. Excellent. So I hope everyone's been getting their mugs. Well, do you know, we've had quite a lot of feedback. Uh, you know, the last show did really well. And a lot of people wanted to wish us a happy new year. Uh, it's so nice to be, uh, you know, engaged with, with, with viewers and listeners like this. This yeah. is my current favorite podcast, says Elizabeth Bassford, to which many people replied, mine too, which is rather nice. Gosh. Rev D. Wendy. Said mine too, Davina Wilson, 58, mine three. Rail Douglas, if I'm pronouncing her right, sent his best wishes from Australia. Lots of nice messages. Um, Alison Kent uh, says she's got her mug in the great state of Victoria. So that's oh, nice. good. Well, I mean, I've certainly also been corresponding with people on Twitter and things, and it is nice. We're creating a sort of community of, 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 of listeners and a community of speakers too, as people come back for the second or third time. I think we're hoping to have Laura Thompson back on Agatha Christie. Well, we had a little surge of subscriptions yesterday. I think this is connected to you talking to your friend Andrew Gold on his podcast. 
because I think a lot of people sort of saw you, and I think you must have mentioned us because we had about 200 new subscriptions. So it's, it's a good time to remind people if you like what we do um, or tolerate what we do even, um, it's really important, as all YouTubers always say, please keep liking the shows, subscribe if you can, spread the word if you can, um, and share us. Share us yeah. around. We're here to be shared. Yeah, well, you know, we've got some really good speakers coming up. Uh, I think one of the things that people like is, is the fact that we do seem to get these very top-level people to talk to us, and, and we have a particularly top-level person today. Yes, we have. We have Tina Brown, who is a genuine get, which is a word she would have used many times in her career. Um, before we get to Tina, though, I think we should up some a couple of things. As you said at the beginning, two of the stories, in fact, that we covered um, have become front-page sensations, really, Yep. Not, and not only in Britain, in, in recent days. Obviously, the Epstein affair, you know, you've been digging into that for all, for your book. But it's it's all over the papers this morning. and also Just more and more revelations um, and ominous things for Andrew, I'd say, and for the royal family. You know, um, First of all, Maxwell contradicts Prince Andrew's claim that she introduced him to Epstein. Prince Andrew had daily massages at Epstein's house, former housekeeper claimed. And then at the bottom, I thought, really significant, this is the Telegraph today, the in-house newspaper of the Conservative Party. Uh, Starmer says Met Police should look at Prince Andrew abuse allegations. Yes. Uh, that's quite a thing. Well, and Di Davis, who we've had on the show, the former head of Royal Security, has also called for that. I mean, I've been calling it for it for a long time, but of course been ignored. Uh, but I think with these new allegations coming forward and more support for what Virginia Jeffrey said, I think it's strengthening her case, which is always with some people being disputed, uh, he's in big trouble. Uh, and who knows, we've got many more of these depositions still to be opened. Uh, and who knows what's inside them. I think it was very foolish for the royal family to let him walk to church the other day. They, they should be keeping this story absolutely, um, he, he should be totally out of sight. Uh, That's and- interesting. That's interesting because for Starmer to say this, people who may not know, he's the leader of the Labour Party, the opposition, he's you know, 90% well, certain probably to be Prime Minister this year at some point. Former Director of Public Prosecutions. Former Director of Public Prosecutions, like Britain's main lead prosecutor. Um, for him to come out that strongly, remember, he'll be sitting down with King Charles every week. That's part of his job. And uh, getting on with the royal family is part of his job. And using them as a diplomatic tool is part of his job. So if he's basically saying the King's brother now should face a British police investigation um you know and you wonder the politics of that you know he's been accused of sort of being quite soft and moderate by the more kind of radical side of his own party maybe the, this is what issue he feels he can be quite aggressive on well it's one of the points that clive irving raised when we spoke to him that a, a labor government may be less sympathetic towards the royals they'll be looking for example at the cost of their protection the question of their uh, houses uh, and actually whether they're really good value for money. And I think what struck me over the last few days is the uh, anti-monarchy uh, feelings, uh, which are clearly appearing on social media. Uh, and certainly people that I know who would be traditionally rather establishment like me are, are much more questioning of the monarchy. Uh, I mean, I've always only ever gone after the rogue royals, but there's a sense now that, that, that they're all tainted with with Andrew. They need to distance themselves. I mean, I think the two issues that I take uh, some um, issue with, one is uh, that he should be, certainly should be giving, uh, co- cooperating with the police and the allegations that Jeffrey made about being trafficked. I mean, the crime isn't that he slept with her. 
the crime is that she was trafficked and he was aware of that. And I think the other is that, you know, that, that he's going to be evicted from Royal Lodge. But Royal Lodge, he has a legitimate lease on. He's paid for the upkeep. Uh, the optics don't look good, but I, d- I think there would be very little, uh, a few grounds to, to, to kick him out. He just needs to go of his own volition. Uh, and I think this is a problem for his status and his pride. He's going to stay there. Gosh. Well, I want to say a few words in your defence, Andrew, because you got a bit of a kicking on social media after your interview with that man, Gold. Um, people were saying, how can this man, Andrew Lowney, be a monarchist and, and still be exposing all these terrible things the world's doing? Some wise figure on Twitter, I think he was called Phil Craig, leapt to your defence. <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you. To say, well, that's one of the things about Andrew that's so great. <laughs> he is very odd. <laughs> he's, he's extremely unpredictable and strange, don't he? He doesn't necessarily go with what you'd expect. He looks at stories. We all try and look at stories on their own merits. It reminds me of that thing about COVID. A lot of people dismissed the lab leak because Trump said it. Well, so what? If Trump yeah, said exactly. It? Well, and also if you remember that the, one of the people who investigated the the uh, special forces abuses in Australia and the man who 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 was doing that, you know, was actually someone who had a very good relationship with the Australian Army and was very supportive of them. Yep, a good friend, Chris Masters. So, you know, I, I, I don't think we, you know, you, you can still support an institution while still believing that there's some rotten apples in it that need to be weeded out. I mean, I think anyone who supports an institution would, would support that. Uh, it's not good for the institution to have them. Uh, the other thing I would like to say, uh, people, um, complain about using the word sleep with or have sex with when actually we are talking about abuse, allegations of abuse. But there is a word beginning with R that you're not really supposed to say on YouTube. Um, it'll have your, um, it'll be taken down yes i hadn't realized that that yeah. seems i mean that it's just seems odd. Um, just seem odd maybe i've misunderstood but i believe from what other podcasts have told me that um also that well, certain german regime from the 1930s if you mention that you get into special measures um right we don't want that we don't want that so, so that's we are why, best we're behavior not, we're not um, in any way soft soaping what's being alleged about andrew at all it's really serious and it seems to be getting more serious Yes, absolutely. No, no. I mean, I, you know, as you know, I've been slightly sitting on the fence on certain issues to do with him sexually. I think financially, there's a there's a very strong argument against his behaviour. But I think as these depositions get released, and thank goodness the judge has agreed to do so after pressure from the media, these things mm. would have remained secret without, uh, you know, brave journalists fighting to have them released. Indeed, it's I, been a great I mean, week for brave journalists. And the other one I'd love to talk to is again. I've actually just emailed him. Is Nick Wallace? Yep, our friend on the post office scandal. A huge story now in Britain, maybe not so much outside Britain, but what revelations. And there's a BBC drama that everybody's watching, and it's very moving and extremely enraging about the injustice. Nick talked about it on our, on our show, what, six months ago? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the biggest uh, miscarriages of justice, I mean, they're now fraud um, uh, charges being levelled at the post office. But uh, why did it take a television programme to do this? I mean, Private Eye had been running with this story. We've covered it. Uh, and nothing happened. Um, so it, it it shows you the power of television to, to, to basically get the establishment to, to actually do the right thing. Yeah, all of a sudden it's become something that there are headline, you know, not just headlines in the, at the front of the paper, serious and angry leader columns uh, in the middle of the paper from the editorial teams, from both the Times and the, and, the, and, the, and the Telegraph, which are the papers the government read, and the Guardian, which is the paper that the new government will probably read. 
Yeah. Um, and there's quite a lot of anger about the way that this went on for, you know, even now the compensation deals have not been agreed. They don't be paid. People, people have gone on to be given fresh honours. Uh, their careers have not been curtailed. Uh, the woman who was in charge of the post office and should have fallen on her sword uh, has continued, has refused to re- yeah. return some of the honours she received. I mean, it stinks. Her position but- looks really, really bad now, and I'm sure she will have to give back the, the honours. But also, there's a politician in Britain, uh, Ed Davey, who is in real trouble over this. I think he could lose his job. He's the leader of the Liberal Party, who smallest party, you know, Lib Dems, they're called now, smallest party in Parliament, but still significant and could be very significant at the election. Exactly. Well, I mean, there's talk of a Lib Lab pact, and, and I think if he's gone or if, if the Libs uh, have been discredited by this, it's not going to help them. No, well, because he was the minister at the time in what was called the coalition government when the, with the Tories and the Liberals at the beginning of the century, and he, uh, well, sorry, after 2010, and he, um, it would appear, was very dismissive of these people when they first tried to raise the uh, miscarriage of justice, and it's come out to bite him now. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I mean, it's just shocking that you know how people, how people in power really don't use that power properly. They use it to, to maintain their positions and to cover up scandals. Uh, so that's why we have the scandal mongers, to, to put the hold them to account. Well, indeed. And also, you know, we're, we're very lucky to talk to people like Nick, who really have spent years exposing stories. And you'll know similar people. And you already did yourself one who are exposing stories on Epstein and other royals. So more power to their investigative pens as we steam into 2024. But um, Tina Brown. Yeah, well, she's another one who has uh, been had an interesting position because she, in some ways, mixes socially with many of the people she writes about, but that doesn't sh- stop her actually criticising them and having some pretty sharp things to say, uh, not least about Prince Andrew and other royals. And I think you had a you have a particular bond with her because you've both written on Princess Diana. Yes, I I got to know Tina through that and also through um, a few films I made that were screened in America, and she was very gracious enough to host those events, which were amazing um she was the queen i mean she still is extremely influential but for a while she was the most significant media figure i perhaps certainly in print um maybe in all media in in the u.s you know a british yeah. transplant she went there very young she made vanity fair she, uh, in, into the kind of cultural force that it was in the 80s and 90s um mixing up kind of high class gossip with the proper investigative and foreign reporting beautiful writing from top, top writers. My old friend Christopher Hitchens used to be part of her stable of friends and writers. Um, Anthony Holden was another, lot, but lots of people. An incredible yeah. work for her. No, I mean, she I'm also quite... had a sense of the, the zeitgeist, which is a word I think she yeah. uses a lot. Um, and, uh, no, she's, I mean, she's got a, had a long career at the top and has, has managed in some ways to survive in a pretty ruthless world. Uh, and I think it's quite a coup to have her. And I think a lot of people wanted to, to have her on the show. So, you know, you just need to ask and we can provide. We can certainly try. All right. Well, that's a rather elongated introduction. Um, but uh, should we go and try and find Tina in some yep. Manhattan cocktail bar? Let's do that. And I think what we can also promise you is something on Epstein in the coming weeks. Yes, we're going to do more on Epstein. And uh, fingers crossed, maybe go back to the post office scandal too, either as a whole programme or half a programme. Yep, that would be great. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Hello, Tina. Good morning. I want to start with a trip down memory lane. Do you remember this photograph? These two handsome young people? Good Lord. Is that you? 
It's, it's, <laughs> you haven't changed. I think I have. Yeah, God knows. I don't recognise myself even more, but how nice to uh, be reminded well, my, of that. My, as is appropriate for you, I think, one of my favourite New York memories was the night you hosted a, a gala screening for me for a film I'd made. And uh, a very generous took me out for lunch or was it dinner in Bryant Park. Uh, that oh, was God, a, a what great, night it was. Great night. <laughs> I'm so pleased. Well, come back. Not sure I can uh, lay on quite such a spread in these days of different budgets. <laughs> well, the, the other time we met was in Belmont. It was in the Carlisle Hotel a couple of years later, and you gave me some very good advice. It was in Diana's favourite bar, I think, Bellman's Bar. And we were talking about your Diana book, because I would previously done one. And you said, Phil, you need an American agent. <laughs> and I didn't take your advice. And that, that's why you're still having cocktails in that bar. And I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> well, I don't think so. <laughs> well, well, listen, I mean, what's happened since then? <clears throat> yes. Well, I, I, you were really going to discuss how, in some ways, the image of Diana perhaps has changed in the last few years since perhaps Phil's book and, and even since your own book. I mean, do you feel that the, in the War of the Whales is that things are a bit more balanced now? Um, I'm so sorry. I've lost your picture. Just a second. Let me just. Oh, oh here you go. Sorry. Do you want to just take that again? Yes. I mean, since uh, Phil's book and indeed your book, do you think that the public perception of Diana has changed? It's very interesting, isn't it? Um, how she keeps uh, living on so potently in in the public imagination. I think there has been uh, more complexity uh, added. I think, you know, people understanding that the Martin Bashir interview happened under so much stress for her, I think does change people's sense a little bit of her going so, uh, uh, you know, neurotically sort of off track, essentially, in those last years of her life. Um, although I'm of the opinion that Diana still said in that interview everything that she wanted to say. And I'm actually also of the opinion she would have given an interview to somebody else. She was sort of looking to unload all that. But perhaps it wouldn't have been at quite such a sort of uh, bridge-burning voltage that it was if she hadn't been under the kind of illusion that there were all of these people stuck spying on her. And, of course, the fact that, you know, we never really understood uh, why she fired suddenly Patrick Jefferson and the terrible incident where she went up to Tiggy Legburk at a Christmas party and said, you know, sorry about the baby, that all sounded like she had gone so uh, you know, crazy, essentially. But, of course, now we understand she'd been told Tiggy Leg Burke, you know, had aborted a child by Charles we, and that she had been told Patrick Jefferson was her chief spy. So it is more understandable. So, yes, I do think there is quite a lot of, you know, more nuance has been added to the last year's pictures at any rate of Diana. I'd like to get your view on Charles, actually, and the job, what he's doing with the job, because I'm sure, like me, you probably thought at one time he wouldn't perhaps be the best of kings, as Diana herself thought. But to be fair, I've always been a bit of a Republican, if I'm honest. I seem to have done a surprisingly good job. Apart from the odd bit of temper, the Windsor temper, he seems to have done a reasonable job. What do you think? Well, actually, I, you know, I always thought Charles was a lot more interesting than people kind of said, and that he might be fine, depending on when the Queen went. I mean, she hung on and on. She didn't do what Queen Margaret has just done in Denmark and say, you know what, it's enough. Um, but he is doing superbly well. I think what did surprise me was just the ease of the transition. I mean, when I was contemplating the Queen's death at the uh, as I was writing the Palace Papers, 
I really thought there was going to be a period of huge instability after the Queen died in terms of the public sense of the monarchy. That he completely for, for, forestalled. I mean, he it was such a smooth transition. It was so beautifully handled by him, aside from the snit about a pen, which, you know, God, all of us did that stuff. <laughs> he he really you know he he really was just amazing he got he hit every note right and of course i think a lot of that's to do with camilla in his life you know i think she so stabilized him at this point that um he can focus on the job instead of the endless kind of hand wringing and you know eeyore like sort of uh you know feeling the world hates him and all that stuff that made him so much less sympathetic than he is now I mean, you see him very much like a Edward the Seventh. I mean, um, you know that his reputation will grow and grow, and he will achieve some something. I think he will, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, <laughs> Charles is always, in a sense, unlucky. I mean, you know, his his sort of Eeyore like maxim was always, "Oh, just my luck." You know, he always sort of felt something would get in the way every time he went abroad. One of the, you know, and was going to make some big speech. One of the kids came up with some horrendous, you know, uh, hair on fire incident that completely eclipsed him, etc. If he gets enough time and, you know, hopefully his health will stay good. If he gets, if he gets another five good years, I think he's going to be very, very sort of, uh, well remembered and, and rather tenderly sort of missed actually, uh, because of his decency actually, because I mean, he's, and because, his sort of faithful adherence to his uh, things he cares about has turned out to be so prescient. I mean, the world has come round to Charles's point of view really on so point. many things, on so many things that he suddenly looks like the great prophet, and he stuck to it. You know, there's a, and he stuck to it in unfashionable moments. He was mocked a lot uh, for his obsessions with you know organic gardening and climate change and. You know, uh, why aren't we thinking more about the Marsh Arabs and all the things he cared about? But they were all very good things to be caring about. And uh, I think he's won a lot of world respect for that. He's much respected now, really, as a statesman, um, which, you know, seemed impossible at one point. Well, I guess from the British perspective, we've had so many leaders, political leaders, falling out with each other, with their own parties, coming and going, sometimes laughably quickly. The, the sense that we need a royal family for some kind of stability. And then he pops up in Germany speaking German and people are thinking, we've not, we've not really seen this Charles before very much. So, Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Like no, a, you're, you're, you're so right about that. I mean, in a funny way, the instability that I thought would happen when the Queen died was actually the instability in the political system, not in the monarchy. And, and in fact, it was lucky for Charles, really, that he became king against a backdrop of absolute mayhem in Westminster uh, which kind of made him seem like this grown up in the room, the yeah. man who could, uh, you know, host that wonderful reception when the Queen died, in which every leader was there. And he's known them all for so long. You know, he has these long, deep relationships. He knew that were their predecessors and their predecessors and their predecessors. And he knows their relatives and he knows that, you know, he's just been on the scene. There's nothing like connections. It's like he's a bit very similar to Joe Biden in that regard. And, you know, who can pick up the phone to leaders that he's just known so many years. It's an asset. Well, I suppose the biggest challenge he's had to handle is this, uh, the breakdown in the relationship with his son and William and Harry at, at, at uh, Daggers. Do you feel there's any hope there of a reconciliation? And do you think America could help drive that? Because the, the picture we get here from America is that Harry and Meghan are not quite as popular, perhaps, as they were a year or so ago, and that maybe they would need to reach out. Well, I think... They do whether they can at this point is is the issue, right? I mean, I think I would say to say they're unpopular in America is 
more sort of emotionally uh, coloured than it than it is really. I think there's just a kind of lack of interest in them really, except in uh, perhaps fashion moments or you know celebrity moments. There really isn't a great deal of interest in either of them. And that's, of course, pretty deadly if your currency is now going to be uh, you know, celebrity heat, which is what foolishly they've they put their faith in. Um, so they actually do need their connection with England very much. I would argue, though, losing Harry was a big loss for, for, for the British monarchy. And I know he's not popular in England, but they need him. I mean, the fact is that there are just not that and en- not enough uh, royal ambassadors of any popularity to send out onto the scene. So Charles's great sort of endless uh, creed occur about, quote, slimming down the monarchy. He got it slimmed down big time in ways that he didn't anticipate and, you know, lost two big key players, of course, in Andrew, who, although never popular, at least you could send him out to be a blowhard at a dinner in uniform, you know, whereas <laughs> Harry was and is he does have a great touch with the public. I mean, he's a really good communicator. And frankly, to be able to send him off on world tours and stuff was absolutely marvellous, you know, if, he, if he'd played ball. So there is a loss there. I, I also do feel William, uh, a great sadness in William, actually. I mean, you know, you talk about the, um, uh, you, you know, you talked about the change in perception of uh, uh, Diana. I actually think the crown was very helpful in a way to William because I think it showed what spare, of course, uh, very, I thought, callously, uh, uh, you know, ignored, which was William's pain at the death of his mother. Uh, you know, Harry's book was all about Harry, Harry, Harry being, you know, his mother, his mother, his mother, his pain, his loss. It was a terrible thing that happened. And of course, as the youngest, Harry was, you know, terminally sort of wounded by it. But, you know, William suffered too, obviously, greatly. And, somehow Spare didn't allow for that. They somehow didn't credit him with that. And, you know, uh, he went through hell. Uh, and I think that, that it was good, I think, to remind people. So although they hate the crown, the royals, actually I think it's done a huge amount to humanise them and help them. And I think particularly for William, who was beginning to get that air of sort of, you know, the public, although they say they like him a lot, you know, they also think he's perfect. He's like, he's the one who, you know, um, is just the sort of the ho-ho-ho-hum one who does all the stuff he's supposed to do. And obviously that's not as interesting as the, as the kind of tribulations of Harry. But I think that the crown made you feel actually there's a lot going on between, you know, below the surface with William. And he deserves our empathy as well as our, you know, respect, essentially. It isn't one of the tropes that actually it's women coming into the royal family, whether it's Queen Mother or Kate or Camilla. Uh, who are not necessarily royal, who are the ones who, in a sense, make their partners feel uh, loved. Uh, and If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Actually bring a little bit of common sense. Uh, and they've been the ones who have been popular, actually. Well, that's true. And obviously, Kate has been the most remarkable success and is a huge, huge asset to William. But what Harry brought, and when I was researching the Palace Papers, I got this from some very close people to, to William. Harry also was a great help to William in his prior days because he was the kind of, uh, you know, he, he he was the best friend. He was the person that, that could talk, William could talk to without any inhibitions. The only other person on the planet who'd gone through what he, William had gone through. It gave them a special kind of secret society almost. So, and, and he could laugh at William and William, and it would bring William out of his rather serious sort of sometimes pompous self. Being, not having anyone to prick that bubble in his life as, as William, as Harry used to do. I think, I mean, his people close to him feel that's a loss for William. And, you can only imagine, given that they had this wonderful kind of solidarity about what they both shared and, uh, and their hatred of the press, how traumatic it was for William to then find that Harry, of all people, had become the person to spill all the beans and to, you know, take all that stuff to the media and, uh, and, and uh, you know, air their dirty laundry. Absolutely traumatic for him, which is why, to get back to your earlier question, it's not easy for William to accept Harry back in the family. I think that he is very, very wounded uh, and his father will want him back. But I just don't know whether I, whether William will ever, ever have the trust. And if you don't have the trust, it's very hard to have someone like that back into the family fold. We were talking to somebody, I'm sure you know, Clive Irving, a few weeks ago from the Daily yes. News, uh, who was making the excellent point, I think, that, you know, there's very likely going to be a new government. Uh, it'll probably be a Labour government. Here's Starmer as Prime Minister. He, if he was advising Starmer, Clive said, he would say, make the royal family get Harry and Meghan back. Britain generally has a problem. The royal family is a really big problem with its image, with the legacy of slavery, with the empire. Yeah. Whatever the rights and wrongs of this, uh, whether there are petty arguments behind the scenes or whatever, it just is a really bad look to, to have driven away the, the one woman of colour who ever joined the family. Well, absolutely. I think it is. That's, I think they desperately need it. Uh, and, but is she going to play ball? That's what they're going to worry about. You know, it, it's a great idea if they play ball, not if they're an endless distraction with, uh, you know, resentments and so on and, and, you know, criticisms and all the rest. But yes, I think that Meghan would have absolutely superb, uh, uh, ambassador for England. And, and the one it sorely needs, as you say, with the, with the diversity, uh, uh, so, you know, such an issue, frankly, for, for the royals. What interests me, you've talked about spilling the beans. I mean, you've talked to 120 people for the Palace Papers. I mean, people who don't normally speak to royal biographers. 
I mean, is it because you know them socially that you're able to do it? I've heard you talk about how you just persist and keep asking people. And doesn't it also cause you problems? Because in some ways, you know, one moment you may be having dinner with them and the next you're having to write about them. Well, I mean, I do know a lot of people in that circle and I have and count some of them as, you know, people I've known for many years. So there's a level of trust. I'm always very careful in my handling of contacts. And once people know that you're not going to burn them, they are willing to talk to you over the years. You know, having written Diana Chronicles, having, you know, frankly followed the royals since the 80s. Uh, I do have a lot of relationships in those circles. So it's really more about that. And I frankly, you know, I think I get it right. So actually, I haven't had, I don't get blowback from those people that I talk to because they know that I've represented what they said truthfully and I haven't burned them in the process. So I think it's all about how you handle it, actually. And um, I'm sure both of you who've who've done all this kind of work, it's the same situation. And why do they talk? I mean, do they want the story out? Do they want the truth told? Um I think that they like talking to someone who they think is going to really position it in the way, you know, the context of it, the, the, and is not just looking for that sort of sensational bite. Uh, it often means, of course, you do get the sensational bite because nothing makes people more willing to sort of let their guard down and really tell you things if they do feel that kind of trust. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that they, they, they talk because they want in the, the deep down people kind of want to see, people they know represented in the way that they should be and or can be. But even if it's not always the most uh, positive reading, at least it's the truthful reading, because, I mean, there's just so much. I mean, one of the things that I, I found in writing both books, and I'm sure it's been the same for both of you, that is just so much garbage written. I mean, that, that you know, when you start to really do the fact-checking and you call the people and you try to check things out with other sources, you find that half the incidents that are in, you know, the accounts, half the time they're not even there. I mean, one of the cases in point was a much repeated uh, fact. I mean, it's not a massively important one, but it's just an example. Uh, in every story about Tom Markle, it writes about how he won the lottery, right? He had a lottery win of about 500,000. So I was talking to Tom Markle and I said to him, like, you know, what an amazing thing it must have been when you won the lottery. I mean, that must have been like so transformative for you. He said, I never won that effing lottery. You know, I said, what? I said, it's in every account that you won the lottery. So I have no idea. He said, maybe my son was like having somebody. I I never, I never won the lottery. Do I look like a guy who won the lottery? And I just thought, how absolutely amazing. I mean, that's now appeared in like every news account and every, that that ever writes about him, you know, in terms of a biography and every book, but you know, it wasn't true. So it's like, you think that makes you, that, that freaks you out actually, because you start thinking, well, what can I trust actually? So that's why I, I, I get, so kind of you know anal about sort of going deep and trying to find other ways to confirm things and do, i mean do you ever feel you've been played by them that there's a narrative they're trying to create or oh, do yeah, you, have, you have to pull yes, your punches because of course no you, no 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 i don't i don't feel i have to pull my punches but i do know when i'm being spun obviously and you know you take that into account and there's usually a nugget you can take out of that but doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go with the angle and I mean, do you feel that there the, the needs to be more openness with royal archives, which is a, a concern of mine, that, you know, you have them leaking the most personal information from months ago, and yet we can't look at files that are 100 years old? Absolutely. I think it's incredible. I, I mean, I salute your quest to do that. I know you've spent a lot of money on it. I mean, I think it's outrageous. There are so many of these uh, uh, files that are closed. I mean, why can't we hear what, you know, why don't we know what Prince Philip and the Queen's will is? You know, honestly, let's just see the wills. I mean... 
they're so much a part of sort of the public. Uh, I mean, the public has, has, has had such an investment in them. We need to know where the money, you know, what, what happened to the money and where it went. And I think we should know. And I think that the archives definitely should be open. I mean, the constant sort of, let's hear the whole World War II story and stop trying to protect who was a Nazi secretly or whatever. History is history and we need to know the full story. And I know that Charles is opening the uh, the archives to research the sort of history of slavery. Well, you know, it ain't going to be pretty. We know that. But it's certainly better. You cannot keep in today's world, particularly as we're coming into the era of like AI and open source and all the stuff we have and the way of getting leaks. And you're not going to be able to keep the secrets is the truth. So it's far better to sort of, you know, to put it out there in its historical framework and deal with it. I mean, as you, as, you, as you said, I mean, I've been pushing for this for a long time, but it's very hard to get historians to to support that because I think a lot of them are worried that they'll lose their access. Um, uh, well, they're not a lobby system. Um, and I think there's also, I suppose, a debate about where the private life crosses into the public life and whether we're entitled to, to, to cross over that boundary. I tend to think that when it comes to the monarchy, this is history and we need to know. And even if we don't know... 10 years after their death, we've still got to be able to know at a certain point. Um, it is, uh, it informs our view of so much that's beyond them, you know, and, and, and we need to be able to know the true stories. Uh, it, it's, I think it's all part of the transparency of history that we need, that you can only, uh, it only uh, helps us with our, our, our knowledge and our understanding of these people. And, and do we have the full story about Andrew, do you think? I mean, no and yes. I mean, I think, you know, we all know that Andrew, you know, he 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 was he had no judgment. I mean, one of the things we forget about these royals is they are very naive, and that includes Charles. I mean, the whole story of Charles receiving bags of cash, you know, from that Emirati, you know, thing for his charity. I mean, it was stunning. But there is a naivety to the royals. I mean, why would they not be royal and be naive? I mean, they're surrounded in people who laugh at their jokes, who tell them they're wonderful. Um, they never meet anybody who hasn't, you know, who's not bowing or scraping or flattering or like wants something from them. I mean, who gives, who wants to be around a royal, honestly, unless it's to enhance their own reputation, which means that perhaps their reputation is in need of enhancing. So you have a sort of built in hazard there, which is people want to kind of greenwash, as it were. <laughs> crown wash their reputations by hanging out with the royals a lot of the time. So I would say about 80% of the people around them who are not their sort of very, you know, inborn set, which is why, of course, they trust those people more, really want to get to know the royals for some reason of not particularly uh, hygienic um, uh, uh, sort of uh, reasons. So I think that, and they're very, very naive. And I mean, the case of Andrew, um, unfortunately, he had that, he, he, He's very uh, dumb and all of his life he's been told, you know, he's interesting or intelligent or all the things we know he isn't. So he has no judgment at all about himself. And he just, you know, he's got the worst judgment and he's always felt he doesn't have enough money. And may ask, well, he seems to have a very nice house and, you know, certainly a decent stipend and people would kill for it. However, you know, he's constantly in circles with people who have a lot more. And it just rankles with them that they don't have the freedom. It's also pretty demeaning to be so infantilized as he was, where he has to ask his brother, he has to ask his mother. I mean, who, what men of 50s and 60s, you know, could tolerate 
the way they have to go cap in hand to their own families for sort of their stipend or to the government. I mean, not having your own money is a very humiliating thing. But they have trust funds. I mean, you know. They do, but those trust funds, those trust funds are usually very tied up and very administered. And it's a a stipend. It's like, you know, it's not, it's something we'd all love, right? But from their point of view, they're mixing in circles where people have much more money, have private planes and all these things have freedom. And they just, it just rankles. I mean, you see it with them again and again. Um, And in the case of Andrew, you know, he just, he's very naive. I mean, he was bedazzled essentially by the whole Jeffrey Epstein world i mean this big time financier who paid attention to andrew as if he was important and had dinner parties in his big house in new york and invited all these sort of people that andrew could never uh, have met on his own so he was very very naive and he's you know and he's like a and, uh, he's like a 15 year old when it comes to sort of you know uh sexual sort of uh you know um appetite you know he obviously he just wants you know big breasted cocktail waitresses um you know and that's who he is and so he was such a mark, you know, for Epstein, such a terrible mark. In that sense, I sort of, you almost feel sorry for him. Not completely. <laughs> but you saw through all, all this. I mean, you were invited to one of these dinner parties, weren't yes. you? And yes, you, and you, I'm proud to say I declined. Exactly. Exactly. You worked yes. it out. Well, I, but, you know, frankly, I mean, I'm much more able to judge whether someone's a fraud than, than Prince Andrew ever was. It stuns me, though, that his own... People didn't and said this is really a dangerous invitation. I, that that's the part that stuns you. But I think a lot of the time, you know, don't forget they appoint the people, so they appoint people who aren't necessarily very smart either. Well, I mean, I was told by one of the protection officers that uh, you know, if he raised things, his boss would say, "Well, would you, do you want to go back on the beat in Brixton?" And so wow. they blind yes. eye um, on things. Well, that's that's pretty ugly. Yeah. How about Fergie? I mean, what's her reputation now in the states? Well, she was never disliked Fergie. I like Fergie. I mean, I think she's a warm-hearted uh, sort of calamity Jane, <laughs> essentially. I mean, she again, she has terrible judgment about people, but she's a very warm person and I think a rather decent woman, actually. And funny enough, I think she's coming into her own in a strange way. I think that her, I think she will be, people will be very fond of Fergie by the end. And I think that she was brutally treated by Prince, Prince Philip, absolutely brutally treated. I think it was absurd to uh, cast her out in the way that they did. And I think kind of tragic that uh, their marriage essentially ended because of it, because clearly she has been the most loyal wife anyone could ever ask for and stuck by Andrew when no one else wanted to, for which, you know, you've got to say, okay, well, she has, she's a, she's a very loyal woman. A good but her status, her status comes from being still the Duchess of York. And I mean, you could yes. argue that she's exploited her royal position to make money for herself. She has. Absolutely, she has. But then again, what else would she did she have to exploit? Uh, you know, why would you ever hire her unless she was the Duchess of York? I mean, that's just a fact. So, I mean, that's just the way uh, she 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 wants to continue to live in the way that she uh, uh, thinks that she's entitled, and therefore she needs a big a big uh, chunk of change. And the only thing she's got to leverage essentially is being uh, the Duchess of York, and she has. And lesser folk have done the same, you know, in in the world of celebrity. But it doesn't, it doesn't help the image of the monarchy. I mean, Sarah Chatu and others have quietly gone off and done their own thing. Uh, and no, you know, they don't hit the, the newspapers. You know, yeah, but they, were, but, they were, but, they weren't, but they weren't discarded by their husbands. Uh, and she has a fair uh, bit of money herself. You know, Fergie got terrible terms in her divorce. Terrible terms. I mean, because she has no judgment, her lawyer seems to have been hopeless. And she got a very, very bad divorce. She didn't even get a house... 
of her own for life. She just got like use of a house, you know. So she she made a really bad deal, and she was. And then of course she has she was wildly profligate and absurdly, uh, you know, she spent absurd amounts of money. So she has no judgment. So you've got two people really with no judgment. But in the case of Sarah, I think she has a generous heart. And what's Andrew's future then? I mean, what? The, how do they deal with with him? Well, as we're speaking, um, you know, we're soon, maybe by the time this goes out, they will have already released uh, a new flood of uh, emails from, you know, new flood of information from Jeffrey Epstein, which is going to be unlocked. And we may see far worse things. I mean, Andrew behaved absurdly badly. Uh, uh, and, you know, he for, forever pay for it. What they do with Andrew, I think, rather depends on what this next round of, of Epstein uh, revelations shows us. I think that he's finished as a public figure, but, uh, you know, he'll just sort of live out his days at, at, uh, Royal Lodge. And, and the only person who really wants to talk to him is his horse, as far as I can see. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and that's the way it will be. But I think he'll still be sort of in the family circle and shooting holidays and things. And he'll have his own, um, you know, sort of small, you know, dullard circle. Uh, and it's a question of whether he can just sort of live with that in a graceful way. I mean, I think he's very unhappy, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, that has been really his the price he, he will pay for being so, uh, having such bad judgment and such, uh, you know, such foolish uh, tastes. But not a role, for example, in the Middle East or, or in Asia, perhaps, you know, quietly behind the scenes, some sort of no. soft selling arms no. or whatever? No, <laughs> I don't think Andrew will ever be trusted in any kind of public position again. Definitely not. In this world of transparency, there is just no way you can risk Andrew uh, uh, galloping around uh, making those kind of mistakes. Well, I, I'm, I'm conscious we only have you for a few more minutes, but um, I wanted to do a bit of a swerve in the conversation because we're all sitting here trying to get our heads around the American presidential election this year. And another name that could well be released today or in the next few days on the Epstein list is Donald Trump, although he seems invulnerable. His popularity seems invulnerable to anything. Um, do we have to prepare ourselves to see him back in the White House? Or is there another way? I think there's a very strong possibility. I do, that he'll be back. Uh, he is the front runner by a long margin, you know, big margin as, as the Republican nominee. And then uh, it's a question of whether uh, uh, the American electorate is really going to elect someone who has, you know, over 90, uh, uh, you know, charges against him. Um, and might, you know, be in prison <laughs> at the time of the presidential um, election, although that's very unlikely. You know, it, it really is about whether Biden can kind of muster the excitement of the Democratic young at this point, I think, to uh, vote him back, because he's lost a great deal of support from the young over his Palestinian uh, position. And he is very uh, considered very much too old. And it's possible that, that Biden, from far from being the only one who can beat Biden, is the only one who can't. On the other hand, um, he's always been underestimated, Biden. He keeps, you know, the, the, the by-elections have kept surprising people in the sense that, uh, you know, he keeps, they keep winning Democrats. So, you know, it is possible he'll be, that, that Biden will pull it off. But I think there's a lot of problems because you've got these third-party candidate types who are, who are, you know, who are really threatening, like Robert Kennedy Jr., who is really gaining traction and he is an anti-vaxxing, uh, you know, populist sort of, he's like a kind of democratic version of Trump at this point. And, but he's getting a lot of traction as a matter of fact. 
and that's a problem. And you have the the Green Party candidate who uh, there were there were swing states when she ran the same person ran against Hillary Clinton, and 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 you know Hillary would have lost by about eighteen hundred votes, and the third party candidate got fifteen hundred votes. I mean, these things can really matter in a really finely sliced election. So I think it's going to be a tumultuous time. And, and why doesn't Biden stand down? What, 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 can't people persuade him that actually, I think you made the point that anyone except Biden might be Trump? You know, it's very, people don't give up power without a fight. If you, I mean, they, once the power is in your hands, I mean, ask, ask Elizabeth II. I mean, everybody, I've heard her ask that question. If you ask Prince Charles now and said, you know what, in five years' time, why don't you just now give it to William and do what? Queen? I bet he won't, you know. Danish, I mean, Danish Queen. Yeah, yes. right, exactly. She did, which is, I admire for it, actually. I think it was a good decision. People don't like giving up power. And I mean, you know, uh, American, um, you know, the, 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 the Congress is now like a gerontocracy. I mean, it's like all of these ancient people in their eighties who like run again for the now term. And you just think, when are you going to just like give them the hook? I mean, get, get the next generation out there. They don't. So I think there's a lot of vanity involved, honestly, in, um, and I think that Biden honestly thinks that he is the only person uh, who can sort of save American democracy. And, you know, hand it to him. He won last time. And he's been really a pretty good president, actually. I mean, he's done a lot of good things uh, and stuck to a lot of good things. There's some bad ones, too. But he's done a lot of quite good things. And the thought of a second Trump term is really alarming because he's all, he's really out. He, he always does what he says he's going to do, which people don't seem to take seriously. I mean, he's already talking about, like, radical deportations of, 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 of immigrants that, you know, sound almost like some sort of talking about them as poisoning the blood of America. And, you know, he said, I'm going to go after the press. And I think he means it. I, I wouldn't at all be surprised. The people, members of the press will have to really watch out. We're sliding into an, you know, an authoritarian situation where they can be absolutely harassed with lawsuits or even heaven forfend, you know, facing uh, prosecution of a more, sort of, uh, you know, a scary level. So I think that it's a very alarming prospect if he does get in. Does it look more promising in Britain or do you think there's the same chaos there and indeed challenging of civil liberties? Well, no, I, I actually don't. I mean, I think, you know, we had that moment, that very bad sort of, the, the Boris stretch was was really a very uh, alarming direction. Uh, I think, honestly, Keir Starmer seems like a really sort of solid, uh, serious, old school, if you like, old type of politician in the sense that he seems to come from a political tradition that at least, you know, I think he's, I think he's got, I think he's very smart and very sane. I mean, I don't think that Rishi has a chance really, but I don't think that he's horrendous. You know, we, we have to, we have a situation where we have in Trump, I mean, someone who breaks every, who, who really has, democracy hangs in the balance, you know, if, if Trump wins, which is a wholly different issue, I think, to uh, the British election. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, when you think about, say, Johnson against Corbyn, now they are very, very widely different visions of the world. Uh, whereas, I, you know, to be honest, I think Starmer and Sunak could probably sit in the same cabinet if they had to. They're well, not- I know. <laughs> maybe I they so. will. <laughs> well, maybe they will. Stranger things have happened in <laughs> British politics recently. Absolutely. I mean, we also, I mean, we we have the problem of Fox News, you know, I mean, you don't have Fox News in England and you have the BBC and whatever people say about it, at least there are some trusted information sources. It's much, much harder here. 
Well, thank you so much. You know, I realize we're probably going to lose you, but um, we are very, very, very um, grateful for your words of wisdom from the, the, oh, side, the fashionable side of the Atlantic. You and then well, we thank know you. how busy you are. So thank no, you. No, thank so you so much. What are you working on, Andrew? I'm doing Andrew and Fergie at the moment. Well, I'm mainly focusing on a Simon's Trade Envoy, so I think it's going to be mainly financial. Oh, well, that would be pretty great. I think there's a lot of, a lot of you know, linen you can wash, as it were, there. And I love your books. I mean, you know, I, I think they're riveting. Live, okay. Riveting, absolutely. Love them. When you, uh, what about other Andrew? Other Andrew, Phil. Well, um, actually, I'm writing a book. Uh, to Phil, I mean, a, sorry. To finish a trilogy um, on World War II that I've been working on for 20-odd years. Um, oh, wow, right, right. Just doing a bit of TV work now and again. Not too many glamorous. Are you going to are you going to sort of dramatize the book, make it a podcast or a uh, TV? Well, we may well do that. It's about the end of the empire, so it's quite a quite. Oh, that's such a good topic. Quite such meaty, a good topic. Quite meaty. I that's know true. that's that's the big topic of our times. I'm, I'm I always expect suddenly Megan to say that she, that's what she's going to do next, and that would really be very bad news for the monarchy. Yeah, interesting idea. Maybe I can get her to <laughs> my program. <laughs> I'd try if I were you. Again. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.